I want to thank all the labor unions here in Dane County that help keep SlyOffice.com up and going so you keep up to date. Whether it be the Madison Firefighters, Local 311, or the Madison Teamsters, Local 695, or our friends at Madison Teachers Incorporated. These are some of the most active local unions who organize, 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 and constantly stand up for workers. Thank you from SlyOffice.com. When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computer Works will get things up and running for you. Madison Computer Works, computers that work for you. Welcome to another podcast from SlyOffice.com brought to you by our friends at the Madison Teamsters, Local 695, and the Operating Engineers, Local 139. Joining us now, John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation. John, I stumbled across a video on C-SPAN from 2004, right about now, 18 years ago, as my morning show broadcast to the nation as Wisconsin was teetering between Kerry and Bush. And you were a guest that day. Remember that day? I do remember. Did Cher call? Uh, Cher did call. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. That was was an eventful day on a whole bunch of levels. And, um, you know, it, this, that is just a powerful reminder of how long you and I have been doing this. <laughs> um, because, of course, we were together on, uh, uh, in 2000 uh, and the night of Bush v. Gore. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Going, remember going through the computer looking county by county in Florida? <laughs> Florida, Florida, Florida. Well, oh, yeah. I just think of how much has changed since 2004. Uh and you and I had a little bit of a debate about this, Wisconsin being close, and always have been close. So I yeah. was kind of referencing to what happened to Wisconsin. But, you know, within the confines of Wisconsin, a lot has changed. And the map oh, yeah. looks different. And uh, I would say the, the Democrats have less room for air than they used to. Would that be fair? I think it's totally true. <laughs> because um, remember, you know, it, it, it's part of what's happened nationally. This isn't just Wisconsin, but you've seen this sort of um, packing of the Democrats into bases of strength, right? Places where they are strong. And so Democrats, you know, do very well in uh, Madison, in Milwaukee, in Beloit, in the city of Racine, um, historically, and I think still in the city of Kenosha, um, up in the Stevens Point area, etc. But that's that used to be, used to be, that you could look in the far north of Wisconsin, right up along Lake Superior, in Ashland, Bayfield, uh, Douglas County. Those counties were going to vote pretty much the same as Dane County. They were very Democratic counties. Um, you had some some really, uh, I think, a, a bigger, stronger base of Democratic voting in the Green Bay area. Um, and you still, in those days, like, had you know a number of rural Democrats, people who you know, Democrats in the state assembly and Senate who represented predominantly rural districts. I figured out what happened to them. Uh oh. They died. What? They died. Ah, that's, you know, that's not an entirely inaccurate. The New Dealers. Those were the New Dealers. Those people understood collectivism. Well, and when I was, you know, even like 20 years ago, we were still talking about people who were aggressive. Right? Who remember the old Progressive Party in the 1930s and 1940s? Yeah, oh, they're, they're, 
They're long gone. But, you know, it, it's interesting in that they were the next generation of old people were the Cold War people, the Korean War yeah. era people, far more conservative. More conservative, but still had a lot of respect for unions um, because many of them were in unions. And, you know what I mean, there was... Well, I want to I want to tell you something that's very interesting. You know, I've been spending a lot of time in Illinois helping Alexi Janulius as I drive around that state. You know, they've got a workers' right referendum to actually right. build workers' rights into the state constitution. Frequently, I have seen, you know, more often than they're not, the bump, the signs for that are with the other Democratic candidates in front of people's homes. But there are some Republicans with those workers' rights signs out in front of their houses. I can tell because they've got the Republican candidates' signs up as well. No, I, that's a good point. I, look, it's, it's a very interesting thing that, that when the PRO Act came up, which is the uh, piece of legislation that seeks to uh, protect the organizing rights, when it came up in the House of Representatives, there was a, a small number of Republicans in the House who voted for it. Uh, and they come from, you know, precisely the districts you'd expect, where they're pretty conservative, but they've got a strong union right. base, you know, basically, often in the construction trade. And, and so I, I think that, that, that what we have seen, and this is a big deal, is that as you've seen um, the assault on labor and labor get weakened, right, that has had a profound impact on our politics. There's still a lot of people, as you point out, who are sympathetic to labor and sympathetic to unions. But as you've weakened unions, uh, when you talk about Wisconsin, as an example, where are the places where the Democratic Party has gotten weaker? Um, if you look at town, places that were strong union towns, where the unions have been significantly undermined or even have oh. disappeared, that's had a profound impact. That was how that was all designed. John, that was that was that was the plan. All right, let's go to Tim Michaels, who was right. born on third base. Here's Tim Michaels, and evidently, much like Glenn Grothman, he didn't know you were supposed to say this stuff out loud. Moving forward, take a listen. Republicans will never lose another election in Wisconsin after I'm elected governor. Democrats on the state elections committee are criticizing Michaels for that remark, saying, make no mistake, Republicans know that they lose fair elections in Wisconsin, and this anti-democracy pledge from Michaels is just the latest Republican rejection of the will of the people. <laughs> there you go. He oh, said it out loud. Well, yeah, and, and, you know, I was looking at that statement. He made it in Jefferson County, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, a real swing county, actually. It, it's, it's Republican-leaning. But it's a place where Democrats can occasionally actually win. Um, in fact, a place that had a Democratic DA uh, not that long well, ago. Well, you know, you know the tale of that county. Western part swings with Dane County. The eastern part swings right. with Waukesha County. Precisely. Yep, right. Precisely. But to go to a swing county, a place where there really is a, you know, a serious divide, you go to Jefferson County, you're going to see a lot of Democratic signs out there and say, Democrat, you know, Republicans will never lose again. Well, you know, the... The reality of Wisconsin is that you're, he's saying that in a state, um, whether he likes this fact or not, where every constitutional office is held by a Democrat, um, where one of the Senate seats is held by a Democrat, where you have 50 Democrats in the state legislature, um, three of the five uh, U.S. representatives. That's a, it's a pretty remarkable statement. 
right? <laughs> you know, that Republicans will never lose again. Because he didn't just say Republicans never lose again. I mean, maybe he was just saying about the governorship, but uh, the line is Republicans will never lose again. And the fact is, Republicans will lose again if there are free and fair elections. Well, and that's what made his statement so ironic. You look at how he's comported himself in this race. He has not closed the door on decertifying the 2020 election. He has absolutely uh, supported Donald Trump in every way, shape, or form, the biggest election denier out there. So let's be honest, you know, even if that was just hyperbole, you put it in context of everything else he's done, and it's uh, chilling. Now, let me ask you, uh, what do you make of the Marquette poll that came out yesterday that showed the governor's race tied once again? I think it was, what, 47-47 or 48-48? I think it's 48-48. 48-48. Then the, uh, the Senate race has tightened once again. Johnson is right at 50, and Barnes has come up to 48. What do you make of that poll? I assume you looked a little deeper into it. I looked a little deeper into it, yeah. And, um, I mean, look, the top line is a pretty easy thing to talk about. Uh, Wisconsin, as you have said already in this uh, conversation, is a pretty evenly divided state. The polling data, you know, for quite a while has generally shown that, especially in the governor's race. This is a close race. This poll reinforces that. The only thing is now we're getting both of the candidates closer to 50%, right? 48-48. It means you, you know, theoretically in this final week, you've got roughly 4% of people, a little less, who are undecided or are, are potentially swing. Uh, if we presume a normal turnout, right, um, that means that, uh, you know, this thing could easily go either way. I think the key, though, is that, that the mistake we make when we look at all these polls is to assume that these snapshots that we get tell us, you know, where we're going to be on Election Day. The key on Election Day is that this is, because we're so closely divided, it's which side gets its people out. Where's the enthusiasm? And so that's where I looked at the poll a little deeper slide. And I looked at the Senate race, and here's an interesting thing. Uh, you know, at the, in mid-October, uh, Marquette, which is a pretty good polling operation, Marquette released a poll that showed Ron Johnson leading 52-46% mm-hmm. rate, right? That was a substantial lead. And that had a that was a really, really hard hit for Mandela Barnes because not just in Wisconsin, but nationally, people who know the Marquette poll said, wow, um, you know, he's really fallen down. That he's, he's behind in a serious way. Now, this poll, right, um, you see Mandela Barnes move up to Johnson move down to. A very rare thing in polling, by the way, as you get close to an election, where incumbent goes down two points. And so now um, suddenly we're back at a close race, very close race in the final stage. What happened? Well, here's what happened, but In that, in the uh, September poll uh, that they did, 4% of Democrats weren't going to vote for Mandela Barnes. In the October poll, 5% of Democrats weren't going to vote for Mandela Barnes. And frankly, if you extrapolate that out, that's a lot of people, right? Because you're talking, you know, tens of thousands of folks, right? In the new poll, what percent of people, uh, what percent of Democrats aren't going to vote for Mandela Barnes? I don't know. Or aren't going to vote for, you know, I should say, in the previous poll, 5% were going to, 5% of Democrats are going to vote for Johnson. In the new poll, what percent of Democrats are going to vote for Johnson? Tell me. Zero. 
fell from five to zero. Now, obviously, the cavalry came in. Uh, there's been significant pushback after Barnes went down six points. Some ads yeah, went up on the air. Some money came yeah. into the state. The National Democrats did not ditch the state like they That's, did to and, and think, poor Brad Paff. And I think that, yes, and I think you're, you're seeing that um, this is playing out as a wise move because clearly what has happened is the, the Democrats have come back to Mandela Barnes. It was, there's some evidence that in October and even back into September when he, he was being hit with that withering assault, those are incredibly negative and, as we have said, racist ads, um, you know, he went down. He lost, he lost some uh, of his base. And remember, that's 1 in 20 voters slide. 5% is 1 in 20 Democratic voters. Uh, now, if this poll is right, there's been a real movement back in. Um, I think that is because uh, you know, Barnes is, is fighting harder. Also, remember, in the course of this polling period, Barnes did two debates in which it was generally assumed or generally said that he really won the debates, that he was the overwhelmingly stronger player. And so I think that is a very significant thing. Uh, also, here's the other element of it. Uh, Barnes is up a point among independents. Uh, now, Johnson's doing fine. Johnson's still winning independence. He's winning 53-46, and that's a challenge for Barnes. But it is notable that he did, you know, he got a little bit there. Uh, and the bottom line is, uh, when I look at these numbers, I can tell you uh, the way for the way that Mandela Barnes would win is to bump turnout, right? He's close enough now that if they really do uh, do just a final huge push on Election Day, going into Election Day, uh, and that's on campuses as well as, you know, in areas where Barnes is strong, uh, it's certainly within the realm of reason that he could win this. Thing. All right. Do you think this made the dif- made a difference? Some of you here are on Social Security. Some of your parents are on Social Security. Some of your grandparents are on Social Security. You know why they have Social Security? Because they worked for it. They worked hard jobs for it. They have chapped hands for it. They had long hours and sore backs and bad knees to get that Social Security. And if Ron Johnson does not understand that, if he understands giving tax breaks for private planes more than he understands making sure that seniors who've worked all their lives are able to retire with dignity and respect, he's not the person who's thinking about you and knows you and sees you, and he should not be your senator from Wisconsin. Now that's the Barack Obama we remember. Actually, I think that's a little better than we remember. Well, all right. That's the Barack Obama from 2008. So Barack Obama came to Wisconsin clearly to get people motivated in Milwaukee and and give Mandela Barnes and Tony Evers a boost. But the truth is that clip, which made the news all over the country, could be just as effective in Menasha, in Stevens Point, in La Crosse, in Superior. That's a universal message. Absolutely it is. And it's a message that Democrats didn't seem to get until the close. Well, that's because right? we have the worst consultants in the world. I know. <laughs> the it, most incompetent people in the world. Uh, it, it's, it's so agonizing because, first off, you know, you've got inflation, right? Inflation is a huge issue. 
And you don't deny it. What you say is inflation is a result of price gouging and profiteering. Give us two more seats in the Senate. we got a couple of weak uh, Democratic senators in Mansion Cinema. Give us a couple more seats in the Senate. We can actually address this by going after price gouging by the gas and by the fossil fuel companies, by well, going after price gouging. They should run a video of Katie Porter actually asking questions yeah. in a committee earlier this year. Uh, she quite well demonstrated that it is price gouging and it's provable that it's price gouging it's not theoretical the numbers are there absolutely this is this is wall street right and it's it's easy as to figure out and any american's going to get it i saw an interview from pennsylvania the other day where there's some old guys sitting around in a cafe and they were interviewed about stuff and they immediately got you know responded to the idea of taxing and and going after the, the oil companies one of the guys said, you know, how bad is it? Well, I rode my bike today, and this guy was in his 80s. Um, and so, look, the bottom line is they took inflation off the table when they should have fought on that issue. That was a bad mistake. But then they didn't replace it with another economic issue. And I understand there are other issues of great consequence. They needed another economic issue there. They weren't going to talk about inflation. They needed to be talking about Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. And they didn't for a very long time. I think this did severe harm to their candidates. And now, um, I give credit to Barack Obama. He's not the only one. Uh, you know, uh, Jim Roosevelt and other people have been talking about this for quite a while. And to his credit, Mandel Barnes talked about it in the debate. But it's Obama who, with his stature and with his remarkable skills as a communicator, uh, brought this issue like to the fore. And I do think that it is helping Democrats, not just in Wisconsin, but frankly, potentially helping a lot of places. All right, we'll take a break. John Nichols, Capital Times and The Nation with us at SliceOffice.com. Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit JeffsGuitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Ford Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson, and Walks have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. We're back at SliceOffice.com, brought to you by Madison Computer Works and also Jeff's Guitar Clinic. All right, so let's talk a little bit about what happened with the president last night. President Biden went on national television to talk a little bit about democracy. Now, this takes a couple minutes, but I think what he said is important. And, of course, it was mocked the next day by Fox or today. Nothing has been guaranteed about democracy in America. Every generation has had to defend it, protect it, preserve it, choose it. For that's what democracy is. It's a choice, a decision of the people, by the people, and for the people. The issue couldn't be clearer in my view. We, the people, must decide whether we'll have fair and free elections. And every vote counts. We, the people, must decide whether we're going to sustain a republic where reality is accepted 
the law is obeyed and your vote is truly sacred. We the people must decide whether the rule of law will prevail, whether we will allow the dark forces to thirst, that thirst for power, put ahead of the principles that we've long guided us. You know, American democracy is under attack because the defeated former president of the United States refuses to accept the results of the 2020 election. If he refuses to accept the will of the people, he refuses to accept the fact that he lost. He has abused his power and put the loyalty to himself before loyalty to the Constitution. And he's made a big lie, an article of faith in the MAGA Republican Party, the minority of that party. The great irony about the 220 election is that it's the most attacked election in our history. And yet, and yet, there's no election in our history that we can be more certain of its results. Every legal challenge that could have been brought was brought. Every recount that could have been undertaken was undertaken. Every recount confirmed the results. Wherever fact or evidence had been demanded, the big lie has been proven to be just that, a big lie. All right. He put it in context well. Uh, he's not the orator that Barack Obama is, but do you think what he did last night was important? Of course it's important. And, you know, uh, look, Joe Biden uh, is has been a very serious, very steady voice of concern. He got some criticism uh, earlier in the in the fall campaign season for giving a speech about democracy. Uh, and and the fact of the matter is that what he said earlier and what he's, say, he's saying now is, is just the bottom line truth. And, and this ought to be one of the three or four issues that Democrats talk about on a regular basis. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Biden's been put in a position where he's kind of asserting it, you know, in a relatively lonely voice at times, which I, I think is, is absurd. The fact of the matter is, for Democrats at this point, their core messages have to be inflation is real. And we have answers for how to deal with that. Uh, that um, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid are threatened, and we won't let them be taken apart. That abortion rights are under severe threat, and we will defend them. And then finally, that democracy is up for grabs. You're literally running against people uh, who clearly want to tip the balance, as you showed in your first segment uh, with uh, this quote from Tim Michaels, who clearly seem to have an intention to tip the balance uh, in the favor of their party, so that they never lose again. I mean, that's a, a core set of issues that has real power and real resonance. And Biden uh, has steadily been the one who's been raising these core democracy issues. And I think in the calm, measured way that he does it, uh, you know, it's certainly not the fiery, you know, exciting speech, but I, I think there is power there, and I, I do think people hear it. Here is how some of the people on Fox have reacted this week. You know, we haven't even talked about what happened to Paul Pelosi, the speaker's husband. And, and then we find out that the Capitol Police weren't doing their job and watching a feed, protecting, you know, their security cameras. And they weren't, they weren't doing their, Carol Lennig from the Washington Post did an incredible story about how the Capitol Police weren't watching the feed, John. I know. I heard, I heard last night on the news. Oh, my like, God. What do you mean? So here's how the bozos on Fox are, are dealing with an 82-year-old man being attacked with a hammer. Can win 
if we don't do our part. Oh, and if you've got election to that's Bar that's Barack Obama. Uh, let's see. We got to get to the Fox clowns here. Hang on a second. There, here we go. Gavin Newsom thinks if you mock a Democrat, it puts him on a target list. You have Dems and talking heads, like there's any difference, desperately trying to make this about right-wing hate. So Gavin's saying that by saying that he uses more hair gel than John Travolta in Greece, it's going to make people show up to his house with hammers. Like people on the right were always saying, hey, you got to go attack Nancy's husband with a hammer and don't wear pants. They think this is funny. Well, and the, the thing is, uh, especially the, in, in a couple of those times, uh, the notion that there wasn't some sort of targeting of, of Nancy Pelosi. There wasn't a targeting of her husband, right? By all accounts, this guy went there because he was, he was saying, where's Nancy, right? Um, and so this is targeting of Nancy Pelosi. And um, the fact of the matter is that when you look at uh, the ads, even in this cycle that Republicans have been running in congressional races, Nancy Pelosi comes up all the time. And I'm going to tell you, she doesn't come up in a positive light. Um, the fact is that for really the better part of a decade, the Republicans have been you know, targeting Nancy Pelosi as sort of the face of everything that's wrong in the country in incredibly negative ways. And, and is it surprising that that, that, that would you know, come back to haunt? It shouldn't be. And the fact is that, that what people should be saying about this is that when you demonize at that level, is it that surprising that bad things happen? Well, you, know, I mean, you have a more complex analysis. Yeah, I think you have to put it in combination with the Republicans' re little reaction from January 6th. And I think that gives a green light to people as well, right? Well, the interesting thing about January 6th was that, that on the day, a number of Republicans reacted pretty well, right? They, there was some clarity about this being wrong and this being bad and this being incredibly dangerous. And I think you saw a moment there where the Republican Party might have pivoted, right? And, but then it fell apart, and it fell apart horribly, even during the, the immediate impeachment process there where, um, you know, only ten, only ten Republicans in the House, you know, had the gumption to actually stick with, with what had been said, and a smaller number in the Senate, and and so I, I do think what you've seen is a uh, a remaking of the Republican Party since January sixth. That actually on January sixth, you still had Republicans who were willing to say this is wrong, right, and and to you know not all of them obviously, but a, a substantial portion to support certification of the election results. Um, flash forward to now. And I do think that, that there has been a real degeneration in the party, a bad degeneration toward a point where, um, you know, it's gone to a, a full-on win-at-any-cost sensibility. You know, there's a new book out that talks about what went on with the two impeachments. And there, there was a real deba debate, and Speaker Pelosi wasn't so sure they should, uh, should impeach him a second time that it might rally the Republican troops around him. Do you think it was a strategic mistake for the Democrats to try to impeach Donald Trump after January 6th? No, I don't. I think it was a necessary thing. And now, um, I understand what people are saying about the strategies here, right? And I think they cut both ways. But I think it, it, when you've got complex questions of, you know, how something will play politically one way or the other, the best answer is to do the right thing. And the right thing uh, was to hold Donald Trump to account for what he said and what he did. Now, um, does that make uh, you know the the assessment wrong that it might rally folks to Trump? 
Uh, no, I mean, I do think there's been a rallying around Trump. But here's the interesting thing. I do think we sort of overplayed Trump to some extent. Uh, there's a lot of recent polling that shows that, you know, when you ask, like, core Republican voters who they're loyal to now, are they loyal to Trump or are they loyal to the party? More and more they say to the party, right? And so you've seen this transformation of the Republican Party where it may not matter whether Donald Trump is the leader. Certainly he has a base and he rallies a base, but it, the fact is this Republican Party has moved as a as a whole, not an entire whole, because there are some people obviously who, who still resist, but largely for the point of, you know, absolute win-at-any-cost politics and, you know, no apologies. Like, they, they, if you look at the campaigns that are being run this year, um, you know, with racism, xenophobia, and also acceptance of candidates who are completely unacceptable, um, you end up in a situation where you see that uh, there's sort of a desperation on the part of the Republican Party at this point. Uh, and I do think it goes, it, it's beyond Trump at this point. Here's Bill Maher, who made an appearance on Ari Melber's show on MSNBC the other day. Putin was elected. Or yep. Erdogan in Turkey was elected. Viktor Orban. People haven't gotten it, I don't think. This ship of state has hit the iceberg. Uh, but we're still, like, acting like it's normal, like they did on the Titanic after the other. Oh, what was that? And then they went back to drinking champagne. But really, the ship was going to go down. So. That's a dark, that's a rather dark assessment. <laughs> Your thoughts. He thinks we've I'd already wait. lost. I'd wait till after the election. Um, <laughs> you know, look, here's, here's the thing. Um, two things that I think are important to remember. The United States has been in pretty bad places before. We had a civil war. Um, and we had, you know, a really stark, uh, kind of breakdown of our economic system more than once, the, the downturn of 1893, again, the downturn of the, the Great Depression. Um, and and it, these things have been very destabilizing to us as a country. We have, in the past, survived. We've come back. Uh, I don't rule out that that can happen, so I'm not quite in the, you know, we've hit the iceberg and we're going down. But I will tell you that the reason that we came back was that ultimately, you know, people recognized that some sort of loyalty to the country that was more important to, than their loyalty to party. Uh, and this is where I look uh, for Tuesday's election at places like uh, Utah, where Evan McMullen is challenging Mike Lee for the Senate, running as an independent, very conservative independent. And um, if, if Evan McMullen were to win in Utah, and I'm not saying he will, I think it's a tough race, but if he were to win in Utah, that's a powerful signal. It's a powerful signal not just uh, as regards that state, but but as regards what's happening in the Republican Party, and there have to be more signals like that. You know, you know that I'm not first in line to compliment Liz Cheney, uh, but the fact is, what she's doing, going out just uh, I think yesterday and endorsing Tim Ryan in Ohio and some other folks, uh, that that's a recognition that that this election really matters in that regard, right? And the question of whether we've already lost or whether we will lose, you know. Uh, the, at the heart of that is the, the question of whether whether we you know prevail on on November eighth you know whether and when I say we I don't just mean I'm not talking about Democrats here I'm talking about people who are supportive of democracy and um, so this is a really big election it's probably you know it's been said more and more that this is the most important midterm in modern times and you know that's hard to say because you had ninety four you had 
2010, we've had some pretty consequential midterms. And frankly, you had um, 06, which turned it against Bush, uh, 18, which uh, turned it against Trump. So we have a lot of important midterm elections, but it does feel like this one is going to be a test of whether, as a country, as a country, we can rally against anti-democratic forces. I've been wanting to ask you this for a long time. The Republican Party since January 6th, which was a major event, has done everything possible to undercut this country. And it appears as though, even if Democrats prevail on the margins, that they've essentially gotten away with it. And so let me ask you this. Let's flip things around. Let's just say the Democrats had elected some demagogue that refused to go away and pulled something like this. What do you think the American people would do to the Democratic Party? Well, I think ultimately they, they would reject it. You know what I mean? And, and, um, and I think there'd be a lot more clarity on the, uh, uh, on the necessity of, of rejecting it. One of the, the things, look, one of the challenges we have in America is that we have a substantial number of people that are going to vote for the party that is their party no matter what, right? No matter who they put up as candidates, no matter what they're running on, there is a, there is a loyalty there. And, you know, I think we've seen that, that baseline is around 39, 40%. Um, so the question is, you know, what about that? And maybe it's now dwindling, uh, 20% or less of Americans who, you know, can move beyond party to recognize where things should go. And remember, uh, to give you an example, right? Uh, in, in 1964, uh, you know, 60, over 60% of people voted for Lyndon Johnson, a very liberal Democrat. In 1972, over 60% of Americans voted for Jackson, uh, a moderate to conservative Republican. So the fact is we know there's a, there has historically been a swing portion of our electorate. We don't know how big it is anymore. I mean, people really have divided up a lot more. But the, the fundamental question is, um, where do those people go? And if they go strong, um, if there is, you know, let's let's say that there's an unexpectedly strong showing for Democrats on November eighth. I don't have to think there will be. I think we're in this in this muddle for a while. But if they were to go strong, that I think is the place where you begin to write the the course and stuff. Well, but so far, I have been so amazingly disappointed at you know every group of voters with a certain ideology bring something to the table where they've got some cred on, you know, cause they're fighting for some principle middle of the road, Midwest voters in the exurbs of St. Louis or Wisconsin or Minnesota for that part or any, anywhere else. Uh, I, I don't think they bring anything to the table anymore as far as credibility, because they, they've been willing to vote for, a TV star who's broken the Ten Commandments backwards and forwards and done everything he can to undercut the country. He's essentially sided with a Russian communist. (laughs) They still act as though it's all kind of normal. To me, middle America has become very, very, very unsettled, and I'm very troubled with what's happened to the middle of America. Well, and I think, you know, again, we've talked about this a lot. This has a lot to do with media. It has a lot to do with social media. We've seen a decay of local media and and sources of information that we've trusted. We've seen a rise of fake news, you know, for lack of a better term. 
And and I do think that this has had a profound impact on on a lot of folks. I think there's a lot of other factors too. You know, we had uh, the 2008 economic meltdown, and the response of Democrats and Republicans was to bail out bankers. And I think a lot of people remember that. So you've got a whole bunch of things. You know, adding trade policies over the last 30 years, and a whole bunch of things that have uh, caused a lot of people who historically would have been Democratic voters uh, to really you know move away, and a lot of independent voters who. Uh, might have might have done the right thing to get embittered, and the only good news I can give you, Sly, the only hopeful sign I can give you, is from Alaska, where it looks in the polling and, and a lot of other patterns up there like the original reality TV star Republican Sarah Palin will be defeated by uh, a Democrat who uh, is running as a pro labor, pro choice, uh, working class Democrat. Uh, and appears, Alaska's got a better voting system than a lot of places, but appears to have the lead up there. And okay, so, so we're, uh, our North Star this election, Alaska, Oklahoma, and Utah. <laughs> there you go. Wow. <laughs> that's uh, that's yeah. pretty remarkable, John, and a great place to end this conversation. Thanks for coming to SliceOffice.com. Thanks, man. SliceOffice.com. Thanks a million. Bye-bye.